The Right Hook Podcast with the Mitsubishi Commercial Range, Pajero Executive, Pajero Commercial, Outlander Business, and new L200, all with a leading five-year commercial warranty. MitsubishiMotors.ie. It's Tuesday. It's time for Moncom again with Tuesday travel. Last week, Uganda. The week before, Westmead. Now you have a real problem on topping that. Where are we going now? Well, it's, you know what I try? We, we try and do Ireland, international, and then Europe. So this week is a Europe, and we're going to look at Lithuania. Well, now there's a ton of Lithuanians. There are probably more Lithuanians in Ireland than there are in Lithuania. <laughs> yeah, exactly. After Polish people, they are the people who have taken over. And the reason is, so in the last two and a half years that I've been on this slot, we've looked at the two other Baltic countries. We've looked at Estonia, we've looked at Latvia. And in a way, they're quainter, they're smaller, they're easier countries to, to digest and to deal with in the post-Soviet life. Lithuania is a lot bigger. So it's the it? you know, of those three um, Baltic countries, Estonia is on the top, then little, little Latvia is in the middle and Lithuania. So Lithuania had a lot more difficulties. First, the Russians, the Soviet Empire had its grip, had talons in the country a lot deeper because there were more resources there. It wasn't just a quaint little bit of uh, sea frontage that they could use. So it had more industry, so they were richer in a way, but that meant that in a post-industrialized landscape, they had an awful lot more to overcome. And they've managed to do it. Like the, the Wall Street Journal said that it, it is the most improved economy in history. In, in all of its indexes and that was really cleverly the only they waited they first linked to the euro and then 2015 they finally adopted the euro they joined the WTO but the the threat of what they went through is still so strong still so strong but, but twice there would have been Germans first exactly. and then the Russians so I mean there would be there would be a couple of two to three generations mm-hmm. of Lithuanian uh, Lithuanians who would have lived under the heel of a despot I know exactly and that's what we need to keep in mind because these places are sort of becoming, uh, you know, drunken weekend hotspots. And it's, you can do that in Prague. It is different. These countries remember, you know, we just need, need to be aware of what they're coming out of and, uh, yeah. as we're entering them because it's not. And so clearly, yes, Vilnius is as beautiful as Prague and as beautiful as Tallinn in Estonia. A classic, it's probably the lar- the world, Europe's largest Baroque old town. The skyline is like a, a sort of a bed of nails with all these needles of the countless Orthodox and Catholic Church steeples jutting up into the sky and the town itself I mean this is the old town you know the style of the old town is like a network as you can imagine the same with all these Eastern European towns the old Baroque the cobbled alleys the crumbling corners the sort of majestic hilltop views with with red tiled um, medieval buildings but it also has a really a really sort of artistic and revolutionary and unorthodox and quirky centre too. So there's a lot of modern artists. There's a lot of old artisans, medieval artisans, keeping their trade mainly for tourists now. But there's a lot of sort of revolutionary, uh, sort of radical artists. Yeah, but hold a while now. Before you get carried away, as you tend to do, Mm -hmm. there's a pretty black history here. I mean, uh, the whole, uh, the great um, Jewish, for instance, Populations of all these countries were were wiped out, but could only be wiped out with the assistance of the local population as well. So there's quite a bleak kind of history here. And then you have the Russians come in, and the Russians couldn't do what they were doing without a whole load of cooperation too. It's really dark. So forty percent of Vilnius was Jewish. 
40%. And then the, the Gestapo or the Nazis, the SS wiped out 90% of them by lining them up in the forest, which is now a sort of a tourist uh, destination, Panari, just outside Vilnius. They'd line them up in rows of like of 300 or 400 and would just shoot every one of them, put a bit of sand on top and, then, and throw the next lot on top. So 100,000 were killed overall in this forest. As you say, the legacy is powerful. And maybe then rather than starting off with the pretty Baroque and, and sort of cobblestone streets, one should start off in the Museum of Genocide Victims, which is a really powerful build, uh, museum. It's in the old KGB building for almost 50 years was the centre point of oppression. And there's amazing sort of exhibits dedicated to the deportations, the civil resistance, the heroic civil resistance that happened, and then the Soviet spying techniques, which are always interesting to us. Just the, 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 the duplicitousness of the methods the Soviets had um, spying on their people. And in the bottom of the KGB building is still the old holding cells, where the, the prison cells were, where people were, were tortured and held before they were sent off to Siberia. At some point, like 250... It's depressing stuff. Well, I mean, you're the but, one but saying, yeah. No, I am, it's because be you have to watch, you have to see that kind of history. You see, for the Irish now, mm-hmm. because, like, we know Lithuanians or, or Latvians or, or Estonians, because they're living around the corner from us, because so many people from that area have come to Ireland. It's very important for us to get an understanding of it. Because, as you know, they're not talking about it, uh, you know, when they come to Ireland. They've made yeah. a decision. They're l- moving back, moving on. Um, and what's great about Lithuania is they have this nice balance. Right, out, right outside the city is the Soviet sculpture theme park, which tries to look at it in a lighthearted way. It's basically a, a, a Disneyland for Stalin. And they've collected up all the huge, you know, sculptures of Lenin, of Stalin and Lithuanian Soviet luminaries and have put them in this theme park, which is modelled on a Siberian... Uh, in prison camp, a Siberian gulag. A yeah. gulag? Yeah, so you'll have loudspeakers are belling out Soviet anthems. There's watchtowers, there's barbed wires. In the restaurant, you can eat vodka doused sprats and onions, which was like the highest sort of delicacy at the time. Um, I'll and skip that. When it was opened, it was opened by this mushroom mogul. He had made millions uh, uh, canning mushrooms. In 2001, opened this, opened it, and the people of Lithuania were disgusted. They thought, well, it's too early. The wounds are too rare. But 100,000 people, mostly locals, were coming in the first few years. So it, they have embraced it, and so it's sort of okay for tourists to come along and have this. But, uh, sorry, yes. yeah. But, but this now is very far removed from a... Uh, the the, uh, the before you get married, you and twenty five year mates going over to get lashed in Vilnius. I mean, this is a this is a very different Lithuania we're talking about now, and and um, we can't expect the drunks really to pay too much attention. But this, I would think, this would be a really interesting place to visit. Like I would really like mm-hmm. this. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's true. And so for the other, so. Um, and what's interesting about that Soviet sculpture theme park is probably is linking both. It's making an entertainment out of the uh, out of the suffering. But the, the other thing that is that Lithuania has has embraced in the last uh, since 1990 is this unorthodox revolutionary, almost this Berlin type rebellious spirit. So in 1997, uh, a republic was declared within Vilnius, within the capital of Lithuania, the Republic of Uzupis, and it's still there. They have their own president, their own prime minister, their own ambassador, and like woe the Lithuanian guards or police or army if they decided to get in. It's a bit like Christian Hansen, Christian, Christian, 
can't remember, Christian's Haven in, in Copenhagen, you know, the little rebellious oh, yeah, commune yeah, there, yeah. which is slowly actually becoming Vatican commodified. Vatican City. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, and Vatican City and Rome is a republic all of well, its Well, it's own. true. And in fact, the Dalai Lama came and visited this Republic of Uzupis in, in, uh, in, yeah. in, in Vilnius, and he said that uh, like he just only hoped that the angel of freedom and democracy and spirit that was in this place could, could, um, could spread around the world. So some of their, mo- their last line of the constitution is, don't conquer, don't defend, don't surrender. So it's as much a sort of an art project as a, as a statement of intent. Now, it's very moving. Yeah, one of the things um, I think about Europe, and, and it applies to a lot of Europe, which we don't do, um, are, are like markets. And, and I mean, obviously, a lot of people do things like Christmas markets. But, but markets are not something we really do very much, whereas a, a, particularly across cent- the great swathes of Central Europe, when you go to Austria and places like this, uh, the great idea market. And even, even Austria, the markets are slowly becoming commodified. But what's amazing, Istanbul has one of the great markets because it still has the aura and the feel of Constantinople to it. Syria, Aleppo market was one of the great markets, probably forever destroyed now. But these countries of Eastern Europe, because they required, they depended on the black market for so long during the Soviet era, the idea of babushkas, of mothers, of sort of market stall holders coming together and selling things on the street has never died. And so the largest market in Vilnius is a 120 hectares, spread over 120 hectares. It's called Garunyai, just in the west of of, of, um, uh, of Vilnius, out on the road to Kanus. And it has the babushkas battling over, um, you know, secondhand CDs, gold crafts, old furniture, designer fake material clothes from China, great food brought in from the market by local people who just have a huge glut of a particular um, a particular crop and will put load up the pickup truck and drive it in there. So. I mean, you can buy everything. You can buy second-hand cars. You can buy sort of the finest uh, furniture in these places. They, it's, they, they embrace the whole idea. The, the, the Garnier ma- market even has its own concert hall, its own motel, its own football club. Uh, connected to it. But that's not, there's about three large markets. Acropol, the Acropolis market is another ma- market right outside the giant mall, again in the suburbs of the town. And that has, there's a great shop there called San Luva, which specialises in the crafts and the wooden toys and this amber, you know, a lot of the, the natural amber is dug up in this part. You've been talking a lot about Vilnius, but yeah. presumably there's a lot more to Lithuania than Vilnius. Oh, so what about other towns or cities? Yeah, so if you are doing your weekend trip, you can, what I'm saying is there's enough to occupy yeah, you in Vilnius. Sure. Um, but if you're getting out, again, for the symbol of that revolutionary spirit and the strength they have, to go to the Hill of Crosses in Suliai is fascinating. So the, thing you, the other thing you need to learn about Lithuania, they only embraced Christianity in the 14th century, actually at the very end of the 14th century, right? So these were pagans. They were the last of the Europeans pagans until 600 years ago, which isn't too long ago. Do you know? Like we look at the, the, you know, the influence the Normans had, but... We were, they were pagan until sort of the, the, until six hundred years ago, and so there, there's that that belief is very strong. There's a great actually devil museum in Kaunas because they believed in devils, and in fact they still have a belief in those are worshiping deities, both good and evil deities that were mixed into their version of of Christianity. Um, but a great symbol of this is say the hill of crosses where. 
we don't know, but long ago in the pagan times, there were rituals and cultish worshipping done on this hill. Okay? Then along comes uh, Christianity in the 14th century and they start putting crosses on the hill. And it was a tradition that you'd, put, you'd make a cross out of metal, out of wood, out of stone, whatever you'd put it up. And it went on right up until the time the Nazis and the Soviets took over. And they didn't like this idea that there was a shrine here towards another form of belief. So particularly the Soviets would wipe it out. In 1961, they came in, bulldozed the hill as much as they could, dug huge um, ditches in all of the roads so there was no access and destroyed every single cross on it. Overnight, the crosses reappeared. People were dying every day for the sake of putting a cross on it. I mean, this is a real example of where a totalitarian regime is Mm -hmm. terrified, you know, and they have been throughout history. Mm -hmm. They're terrified of people's belief for independence. So they say, we've got to wipe this out. And they suddenly discover they can't. Can I just interrupt you for a sec? It seems crass. But Tuesday Travel on the Right Hook is sponsored by MasterCard. Why don't you explore, discover and embrace your passions using the magic card. Have a look at Priceless.com. Now, you could even get... Uh, presumably take MasterCard in Lithuania. They do indeed. What's great, you know, as I said, they totally embrace... But it's embraced. the euro now as well, which exactly, is great. Exactly, exactly. It made a big difference, that. Uh, and... Um, so in, in every way, it is becoming simpler to, to visit these places. Clearly, you know, Ryanair has had that effect. Ryanair will fly Dublin, Vilnius, uh, some parts of the year, normally in winter, for directly for 120 euros. But even when they're not flying direct, it's still roughly about 120 euros just via London. But it, what, one of the things, mm-hmm. you, probably caused by movies, to be honest, mm-hmm. but there is a kind of thing that, and I noticed it in Prague, for instance, mm-hmm. the architecture and, like... They see how I don't know how they kept all their castles, but like Central Europe and so on mm-hmm. has kept all its castles. Like we we don't like we've got kind of Bonratti and Slain and that's it. Yeah, but, yeah. But there is that kind oh, of Lithuania has some gorgeous castles as well. Probably the most picturesque and the classic one is Trakai Island cottage, uh, Castle. And again, yes, it is a tourist site, but it is so beautiful. It's like, I remember a few weeks ago we were talking about the castle in Udaipur in Rajasthan in India. It is a, this is also a lake castle, okay? So it was built in the 14th century when, as I said, that's when Christianity came. So that's when uh, the Lithuanian dukes took over... Uh, took over Lithuania and put money and put investment in there. And they built, so the classic uh, Vilnius Cathedral was first built in, it was a wooden cathedral built in the 14th century. But Trakai was first built, laid out as this elegant form in the 14th century and had been the centre for the Dukes, uh, the Lithuanian Dukes ever since. So it is, the lake around it is first used as a massive uh, sort of summer tourist area. There's either yachting or sailing or kayaking. The restaurants, this is a Tatar area. So, you know, there's still tribal areas. Last week we were talking about Uganda, about the tribes. These area of Lithuania had still different Cossack Tatar, different tribes moving in, Western European tribes taking over for a while. So the food in these restaurants are the Tatar national dishes, um, which is, you know, if you're thinking of goulash, think of Hungarian, it's, it's not too different. Warm food that is going to get you through deep, dark winters and the, 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 the glut of summer foods that are there. But there's a load of like quaint wooden houses and farms that have kept up its character um, to a huge degree. The one thing, like there is a an, an actually unique food in Lithuania in every one of these Baltic countries that is different we, we sort of dismiss Eastern European food as all being similar a great place to eat it is probably the, you know as I said the cathedral is in the centre of Vilnius and there's this um, road Pilesgatve Castle Street which is the road that goes from the cathedral square which actually 
is where, anywhere, Cathedral Square down to um, the old Town Hall Square. And on that, there's a restaurant there called Forto de Varas, which is a great place to try the national dishes. It's a cavernous, subterranean dining room with frescoes on all the walls. And some of the dishes are like grated potato pudding with boiled pig's ear. Which will cost you about <laughs> five or six euros. Hold on. Grated potatoes with boiled pigs here. Lovely. Yeah, yum, yum, yum. Or wild right. mushroom soup. Again, as we know from the Lithuanians and the Latvians who are turning up in Ireland, they know their wild mushrooms, you know, to much more than, than we do. Um, the other thing is the zeppelin. The zeppelin was the stuffed potato pudding. And so it's, it's a delicacy. It'll always it'll cost you about four euros, wherever it is. Wherever you are, you can either have it filled with meat, with curd, with mushroom, or whatever vegetables you want. Um, and it'll just, it's a, a dish on the run. So the beauty about this is a trip is not going to cost very much you know even this Lithuania is relatively small not quite as small as Latvia or Estonia but there's great bus rides it's safe enough to drive around if, if you if you want to um, the one thing is to try and get maybe up to northwestern Lithuania where to the Zamacha National Park this was where first it's an area of like of wilderness, but also it was where the Russians put their Soviet military base in 1960. They put in, they built, um, over two years, they brought 10,000 secret soldiers up there, built three underground missile bases, and then had, all you see now is these domes. In fact, the locals still don't quite know about it. It can be hard to find about, find about this place, but it was where the missiles, when they were directed at Britain, directed at Spain, directed at Turkey, were were sent in this area. And in the, in the dark areas, 1962, during the Cuban mission missile crisis and again in 1968 um, uh, with sort of with sort of points of American-Russian difficulty the miss this is where 68 might have been the Prague Spring no? that's well there was student revolts in Paris I think 68 yeah Mexico Olympics 68 I think when we were looking am I on the right you are you are yeah yeah when we were looking at um Kaliningrad, this little yeah. Soviet country that you didn't believe. I did a whole half hour and you didn't believe existed. It's just south of Lithuania. And right between it and Lithuania is this place called the Coronian Spit, which is a th- like it is a, an endangered... Call it again? The Coronian Spit. It's yeah. an area of sand dunes. It's actually called the Baltic Desert, the Baltic Sahara, because it just looks for, uh, for miles and miles of sand dunes with these glorious empty beaches where Thomas Mann built his summer house, his cottage house. And, and the problem is this area is under threat of sort of climate change and more, more tourists. So the, the dunes have lost 10 metres in the last 30 years. Um, but in this area, right on top between the, the sand dunes and the, the long, endless beach, is this, be- is this forest of pine wood and birch and alder. And it's just a really quiet area. Abandoned during the wintertime. In the summer, families will go and they'll have, with the equipment of Dachau's, they'll have their wooden cottages and, their, and the sort of lovely neighbourhood restaurants where they will have collected right. the fish and the, and the mushrooms. All right, OK. Lithuania looks like a place to go. Uh, and uh, I'll see you next Tuesday, Moncon.